Welcome back to the Shores Church Online. Great to be with you today. Whether you're watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, streaming on Spotify, or checking us out some other way, thank you for taking a few moments to study God's Word with me and with the Shores Church today. Make sure you follow, like, subscribe, whatever it is you need to do on the channel you're watching so you don't miss out on any future content from the Shores Church. Now, let me kind of recap where we've been over the last three weeks. We're in a series called How Not to Read the Bible. In week one, we were talking about the idea of how the Bible was written for us, but not to us. And we really dove into this idea of understanding the proper context of Scripture. Who wrote it? Who do they write it to? When do they write it? When was going on in society at the time? And ultimately, to never just read a Bible verse. That we want to understand the paragraph that the verse is in, the chapter that the verse is in, and really even the book that that verse is in so that we don't take anything out of context, but we understand what God is truly trying to speak to us. In the second week, we talked about the idea, the concept of stranger things. We looked at the Levitical laws and we dove into what all these different laws meant. What did they mean at the time and what do they mean for us today? Some of them we need to partake in, some of them we don't need to, and helping make sense of all that. Last week, we dove into a difficult conversation for so many in the church, and that is women's role in the church. Are they there to just sit there and look nice, or are they supposed to be engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ in speaking, teaching, and preaching the good news of Jesus? Let me just give you a spoiler alert if you haven't watched that message. They're supposed to be involved in the mission of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we really dove into some of these verses that seem like they bring uh, conflictions. We talked about the idea of boys club Christianity, that it's all about the men. You need to go check that message out if you haven't yet, because I think it will really speak to you and help you understand the, the woman's role within the church. And God intends for women to play a big role within the church. And then today we are diving into the topic of Jesus riding a dinosaur. And I know that sounds like a ridiculous topic, but what we're talking about today is the idea of science and the Bible. Can they coincide? Do they work together? What does the Bible really say about creation? What does uh, science really say about the scientific process of how to identify things? So we're going to dive into this. I want to let you know off the, uh, the bat that I'm going to be challenging your thinking today. There might be things that you have solidified in your mind that I might cause you to think a little bit about. I, at the same time, I might be causing you on a topic that you've buried your head in the sand. But you're like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to kind of go along my life and say that Jesus is Lord, and I'm just going to ignore the topic. And I'm going to force you to think about it too, because we need to be able to have answers to people that are, answer, are asking us questions, because it's one thing to say, I don't know. Let me learn. Let me check. Let me get back to you. It's another thing to say, I have no idea, or this is my opinion, I've made up my opinion, you need to adapt to my opinion or else. So when we kind of walk through that process, it uh, helps us to be able to answer people. And so we're going to get into this. One of the things I do need you to know is 100%, before I even say a word, before I preach, before I read scripture, you need to know this because I don't want anybody walking away with something contrary. I believe that God created the universe, that he is the author, that we are not here by accident, but we are here by design, by an almighty God who is in heaven, who created you and I and breathed the breath of life into our lungs, and we are created in the image of God. So don't go and clip anything in this message today. I want you to hear that first and foremost. I'll be saying it throughout this message, but God is the almighty creator of the universe and however he decided to create things and do things uh, throughout scripture, it's totally up to him. He has full power to do anything that he wants to. That being said, we're gonna be dealing with some issues today that might feel um, 
not comfortable to you, it might feel like, well, that's not what I've always been taught. The things we're going to be talking about today are not salvation issues. I use this example on a fairly regular basis of open-handed and close-handed Christianity. Close-handed are the things you got to hold on to, the things you can't let go of. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was resurrected, and he is coming again. If those things aren't true, then our Christianity doesn't matter. Then we have open-handed issues, that these things are important. They can matter to us. We can have opinions on them, but we have to be willing to let the wind blow them to and fro and not hold so tight onto them because it's not going to be the thing that gets us into heaven or keeps us uh, out of heaven. So some of the issues we're going to be talking about today are open-handed issues. That it's okay if you disagree or you don't fully understand or fully know, but I do want you to seek wisdom. I want you to study. I want you to have an, a, begin growing an opinion so that you can answer people who ask difficult questions. Before we go any further, would you go ahead and repeat after me, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word Oh Lord, is eternal. Today we're going to start by jumping right into Genesis chapter 1 and we're going to read till chapter 2 verse 3. So let's go ahead and read this together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and iry ringed bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life I have given, every green plant for food. And it was so." And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The first point that I have for you today is something that's simple, and it's in the beginning. We can look at chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, and we see in the beginning, we see this creation process. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, if you've even ever started by picking up the Bible, you likely have heard this passage of Scripture read. It's within uh, the pop uh, culture that we have it in the, the sense of, you start reading the Bible, most people usually start with Genesis. This is the very first thing that you read. So this is something that even Christians and non-Christians alike are probably familiar with most of the biblical interpretation of the creation of the world. Now, in light of this series, we have to ask ourselves, who is this written to? It's not written to you or me. It's written for us, but it's not written to us. Who is the author of the first five books of the Bible? It's Moses. Who is Moses writing this to? He's writing it to the Israelites. He's writing it to the Israelites after they have spent 400 years in captivity as slaves in Egypt, where they previously had experienced the, the one true God, and they had relationship with God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we, we see them having this relationship with God, but then they move into Egypt, and then they're taken into slavery. And for so many of them, this is their first moment of really experiencing God. And the thing that we need to realize is that when they're in Egypt, they were exposed to so many different gods. 
They had gods for the Nile River. They had gods for the sun, for the moon, for the stars, for the animals. There are so many different gods that the Egyptians worshipped that God is really building a case of who he is in this passage. Now, when we hear this, we ask some of the following questions. Maybe you've asked some of these yourself. Uh, maybe you know people that have asked these questions. But when we, with our perspective, look back on Genesis 1, we ask some of these questions. Did God really create everything in six days? Or were the days figurative? Or were some of the days figurative and some of them literal? Was it a week long or was it thousands or millions of years long? How old is the world really? If God created everything in six days, that means the world is about 6,000 years old. If the world is 6,000 years old, then what about dinosaurs? And did the people exist during dinosaurs? Or did the dinosaurs die out? And how did that look? That if Jesus was alive at the same time as the dinosaurs, here's the question, here's the title of the sermon, did Jesus ride a dinosaur? That we can look at the idea of how was there light for days one, two, and three if the sun wasn't created till day four? And if the sun wasn't created until day four, what was the gravitational pull that was keeping the earth in orbit? That we can look at the idea of are my choices limited between evolution and creation? Is there room for somewhere in the middle? Could God have done something unique? Or do I have to believe that it was creation as speaking into existence? Or do I have to believe that it's evolution? And we can hear this and we can struggle with all of these different ideas. Because even the one with evolution, you hear that. And I'm sure instantly that if you have grown up in the church, even me saying evolution within a message, you might feel like, ooh, I don't, I don't like that very much. But one of the things I want you to realize, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, and you see this play out in Genesis chapter 1, is it's talking about kinds. So how many animals did Noah take on the ark? Two of each kind, not two of each type. And if he's taking two of each kind, and we're taking two dogs on the ark, how do we have so many different um, dogs today? And how does some of this work? And so there's a lot of questions that we can have scientifically looking at Genesis 1. But we have to realize that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. The questions that we have are not what God is trying to answer for the Israelites. God is trying to, to prove who he is to them. Now, as Christians, we can do one of three things when we address difficult conversations and topics like this. The first one is this, is we can be like an ostrich and we can bury our heads in the sands and just hope that it all goes away. And a lot of Christians do that because they don't have the answers. They don't feel smart enough to bring the answers. So they just bury their head in the sand and just kind of talk loud and, and believe that uh, if they ignore people long enough, the, the questions will just go away. They're not going away. And if anything, the questions are being asked more. The second thing we can do is pick a side and then try yelling louder than the other sides. That this is my answer. This is what has to be right. If this is not right, then everything is falling apart. Remember, this is open-handed and closed-handed Christianity. That if our complete view of creation is not 100% right, you're still going to heaven. And if somebody else's is partially right, they're still going to heaven and you're still going to heaven. So this is something that we... We want to have an opinion on, we want to study, we want to have a belief structure on, but we have to realize that if it's not exactly the way we expect it to, we're not losing our salvation over this. And the third idea is this, study the different perspectives, understand the pluses and the minuses to each idea, to each concept, pick an opinion, realize that it doesn't impact eternity, and then begin talking with people and challenging people and thinking through and having some difficult conversations. And you might not always agree with the other person, but it allows us 
to kind of sit back and say, you know what, we're going to agree on the things that absolutely need to be agreed on. And we're going to be okay discussing and allowing for different opinions when it doesn't completely matter. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to know the answer. And ultimately, let me just say this, when we get to heaven, the answer is not going to really matter that much because we're going to be in the presence of God. We're not really going to care about some of these random questions that we have today. But let's get back to why this was written. We need to talk about this. And remember, it's written for the Israelites after 400 years in slavery, and Moses is writing it to them. And that what he's really doing is helping them understand, not scientifically what's happened in creation, but helping them understand that God was over creation, that he's helping them understand that God was over light and darkness, that God supersedes those things, that God ultimately, he created the sun and the moon. And so why are you going to worship a, a god or a goddess of the sun or the moon when you can worship the singular God that created all of those things? That God is the God over the water. God is the God over the land. God is the God over the animals. And he is worthy to be worshipped. He is systematically proving to the Israelites that God Almighty is the God to worship. This is the God of your fathers. This is the God of Abraham. And I know you've been exposed to some different things in Egypt. And I know when we're in the wilderness, we're going to be exposed to some different people with different belief structures. And I know that when we go into the land, we're going to experience even more. But we have to have a foundation of who our God is and what he's done for us and how much he cares for us. The Holy Spirit inspires Moses to prove that God is worthy to be worshipped. He does not inspire Moses to write a scientific textbook. And he could have done that, but that's not what he did. And the problem is when we try to read our questions into Genesis and try and pull out our answers, we try and make the text say something that it was never intended to say. Now, there's some things that we can pull out. There are some theories about how creation happened, and we're going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about two ideas the rest of this message. The first one is this, is potential ideas of how the world was created by studying and reading scripture. And the second is, what animals did Noah take on the ark? And how did we get to all the animals that we have today? Now, let me say this. We could talk on so many different topics of uh, science and the Bible and how they can work together and how they can collide. But I just want to give you some examples from the very beginning of creation because I think these are some of those moments that people ask difficult questions on. I'll let you know as well. Grab the book, How Not to Read the Bible. Uh, and it, it dives even further into some of these. I only have so much time. So I'm illustrating and emphasizing these. But make sure you go through and you read some of those for yourself. So here is the first point uh, in this message. It was, how was the world created? I want to talk about how the world was created. And now I'll quickly throw out seven different ways that the world could have been created and how God could have created the universe. But remember, the most important thing here is not how God did it. It's the fact that God did it, that God created the universe. God made everything. God put everything out there. And we can trust that God made you. God made me. God made the world. God breathed his life into you and I, and that we were created in the image of God. Hear all that before I dive into any of what is ahead. Here's the first one, the young earth interpretation. Now, this is one of the most common beliefs within Christianity, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but it's the idea that God took a literal six days, 24-hour periods to create the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, if you believe in this uh, idea, then you can follow the genealogies out and you can see that the world is approximately six to 7,000 years old. And in the midst of this, we can, we can create this and uh, understand that it's this general time period. 
that we can't nail it down specifically because when we look at some of the genealogies, we do know by comparing them that the genealogies are the same, but sometimes some of the authors skip over um, some of the people in the genealogies for the purpose of literary style and to try to prove points that they are hitting the main players. Some of the genealogies go through and they name everybody, but it puts us in a general time period about six to 7,000 years old if we believe in the young earth model. And that brings up questions about the dinosaurs and what happened and what this looks like. We'll get to that in a little bit. The second idea is the day-age interpretation. This is the idea that it's very similar to the young earth, but it allows the days to be younger or longer time periods, primarily days one, two, and three. The idea that this comes from is that the word yom is used for the word day. That's what it's translated. That's yom one, yom two, yom three, day one, day two, day three. And yom in the book of Genesis alone, I want you to hear this. Yom is used to represent 12 hours in Genesis 1-5. It's used to represent a whole week in Genesis 2-2. It's used to represent a growing season, kind of like that whole cycle from planting through harvesting. Uh, so it's several months in Genesis 4-3. In Genesis 44, 32, it represents an eternity. And in Genesis 43, 9, it represents a physical lifetime. And in the first five books, the Pentateuch that Moses wrote, it even represents other things when you get into the book of Deuteronomy. But you can see here that right away, it's used to reference multiple time periods. So Yom 1 could have been 24 hours if we're going with the young earth. But if we're going with the day-age interpretation, Days one, two, three, four, five, six. It could have been uh, multiple days. It could have been weeks. It could have been months. It could have been a season. It could have been a, a lifetime. And so we don't really know how long that is if we're going with a day age. But the idea is days one, two, and three are the ones that could have been longer specifically because the sun wasn't created till day four. If the sun is created on day four, then a 24-hour cycle can begin starting on day four. But if there is no sun and God is the light, and we can understand this concept when we look at Revelation, that there will be no sun in the new heavens, new earth, because the light that is emanating from God will be our light. So if we can look at that of the separation of light and darkness being in day one, two, and three, that God's very presence is right there with us on day one, two, and three. And those days could have been uh, multiple days, weeks, months, years, thousands of years. We don't really know. And so this idea kind of allows for days one, two, and three to be a longer time period, which might allow the, the world to be older, but still fit in with the general uh, time period of creation. The third idea is the appearance of age interpretation. This one isn't as popular within Christianity. It lacks scriptural backing, but it's almost one of these ideas that somebody was pondering and threw out there. It's the basic idea that God created everything in six days, but he created it to look like it was older. That he created it, I mean, almost in this concept that did, was there even dinosaurs that were, walked on the earth or did God just give the appearance of dinosaurs and put their bones in the ground? It's not a great idea. It's really trying to kind of skirt around the issue and not deal with the questions of, well, God just made it that way. And here's the thing, God could have just made it that way. And this is a viable idea. It just lacks the scriptural backing to be taken incredibly seriously. Number four is the gap interpretation. This is an interesting one to ponder as well. And it kind of uh, breaks down around Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. The idea is that there is a gap in that general time period that if we were to go back and read that verse again, it's in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
that God created the heavens and the earth and it was without form. And then there's a big time period and maybe the dinosaurs existed during this time period. There was a gap between verse one and verse two. And then God starts the active part of creating things and filling things and separating waters and land. And so the gap interpretation allows for there to be a sizable time period between verses one and two of chapter one. Uh, and then God begins speaking things into existence. Idea number five is that the preparing the garden and promised land interpretation. This is kind of a modified gap uh, theory. The idea is that God took a long time period to create everything, and then the six days started. So God created everything, the six days started, and the six days really represent the garden and how God did everything in that time period with the garden. And so God giving form and, and creating was really creating everything that would surround Adam and Eve, but he had already made the world and did everything in that context. The sixth interpretation that exists is the, the God's temple interpretation. Now, this one's really interesting. This goes back to the idea that the Bible was written for us, but not to us, because there's something here that you and I wouldn't know on our own unless we studied the culture at the time. The idea that the Israelites would have been familiar with that you and I are not familiar with is the idea that kings in that time period, they would build themselves a temple, uh, they would build themselves their, their castle, whatever they're building, and they would spend six days in preparation once it was created in inauguration, and then on the seventh day, they would take up residence in it. Now, I want you to hear this. This is Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 2. It says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. What's that really getting at is that the heavens and the earth is God's throne, that this is his temple, that this is where he dwells. So he spent six days creating things and speaking things into existence, basically saying, here's all these other gods and goddesses that the people believe in. They're not true. Let me show you that I have power over them. And in six days, I created everything and I entered into that, that temple and I rested and I, I took up residency as king on the seventh day. This would have been something they would have been familiar with. And so it allows for God to, yes, he created everything. Yes, he spoke it into existence. But this allows him to mirror the fact of, one, I created everything. So these gods and goddesses that the people that you're seeing believe in, they're not real. I'm over them. But I'm also the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords in that I'm going to take the model that you're familiar with, that you see other kings use. I'm going to do the same thing. I created everything. I prepared it for six days. And then the seventh day, I took a presidency. So this could be the reason why seven days are used, but that the time period could have been longer. And then the seventh idea that I want to throw out there, and this one might be a little controversial for you, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to put it out and allow us to have conversation about it. It's that it's the intelligent designer interpretation. Now, when we talk about the idea of evolution, this idea that everything just happened by chance, that I could break a watch into all of its pieces, throw them in a bag, shake it, and expect it to become a perfect Rolex again is a ridiculous concept. But if we have a designer that's taking all these different things and intelligently designing it, then maybe there is a way to do something in, in a way that we're not used to. So the idea of evolution happening by chance is ridiculous. But could God have used evolution to go from one place to the next? I don't think it's offhand. I don't think it's the way God did things. 
but I can't rule it out as a possibility because I wasn't there and I'm not God. And so the intelligent designer uh, idea is that God allowed for evolution, but his handprints, his fingerprints were all over that. And that he's the one that moved everything from one spot to the next. Think of a child playing with Play-Doh, that they're creating one thing and then they mash it back up again. And then they grab the next cookie cutter and they cut out something different. And then they mash it back up again and then they create the next thing. That there's a designer making something, but is constantly changing what is being made. And that would be kind of that idea if we were to roll with that particular interpretation. Now, here's the thing I want you to hear. That's seven different ideas. There's other ideas that are out there of, that people that love Jesus have thought about, studied, considered. And you might be listening and like, I think it could be these three. Some of you might be like, it could be all seven. Some of you are instantly writing out six of them. And that's okay. But I want you to remember this idea, open-handed and closed-handed theology. It doesn't ultimately matter because if God created everything, that we were created in the image of God, that man uh, off of his own free will sinned, fell from grace, that God came down in the form of Jesus as man, born of a virgin, died the death that we should have died after living a perfect life, was resurrected and is coming again. If all that is true, then the way that God created everything doesn't really matter. It matters that he did, but it doesn't matter how. And we want to make the Bible answer how, but that's not what the passage was written. The passage was written to show the Israelites that God was God over everything, that God created everything. And so he, he's writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Moses that which they need to hear so that they can believe and put their trust and put their faith in, in, in ultimately in Jesus, but in God. So we hear that, we realize that we need to make Jesus the main thing, that we need to realize that we need to build relationships, that we need to have conversations with people, that when they ask things like this, that we can be aware of things. We can be aware that somebody having a slightly different interpretation on what happened does not threaten our Christianity. It does not push us out of heaven or push them out of heaven, but it allows us to intelligently have conversation that will ultimately bring other people into the kingdom because things like this can be an issue that prevents somebody from wanting to walk in faith because they can't right off the bat get their mind around some of these concepts, allow them to come into the kingdom, allow them to meet Jesus, and then allow the Holy Spirit to start working on their heart and rounding off the sharp edges so that they can walk in confidence of who God is. Now, we're going to get to our, our other main point, our other scientific thing that we're going to discover and dive into. And this is the one that the message is, is based off of. If it is a young earth and the dinosaurs were on the planet, did Jesus ever ride the dinosaur? What about Jesus riding the dinosaur? You named the message this, Pastor Scott, so where are you going? What are you getting at with this? Now, I want you to understand something. In order for this model to really work, we need to be talking about one of these topics of uh, like young earth in some variation upon it that would allow dinosaurs to be on planet earth at that time. Now, we need to understand a few different things. I believe I have a, a good understanding and a strategy for what allows the dinosaurs to be wiped out based off of scripture, if it is a young earth model. Now, here's the concept, is before mankind sinned, we're told in scripture that there is no death in, in, in play. So that the idea is to go forth and be fruitful and multiply. Mankind's body was designed to live forever. And if death hasn't been in, in the, the mix for us, realistically, it probably hasn't been in the mix for them, that at this moment, there was no sacrifice, there was no humans eating animals, there would have been no death to our knowledge. 
Now, mankind then, even after the fall, was living for almost a thousand years. So mankind was living for a long time. If there is no death that's occurring and mankind can live that long, you would have to assume that animals at the time probably could live a longer time period as well. Lizards and snakes and amphibians, they have the ability to grow for their entire lifetime. The longer they live, the bigger they get. If there's no death at first, man living almost a thousand years, it stands a reason that lizards and snakes and amphibians could have lived longer as well. And they could continue to have grown as well. And what does this really mean? Dinosaurs means in the Latin, terrible lizard. So maybe, just maybe, some of these lizards, some of these um, dinosaurs were lizards and amphibians and snakes that were allowed to live for longer time periods and to grow and become bigger because they're living a thousand years instead of just living a shorter time period. And when you factor in that the average dinosaur, science tells us this, the average dinosaur was about the size of a chicken. So most dinosaurs were not these big things that we see when we watch Jurassic Park. And when we think of, of this, we realize something is important as well. When we look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, this is what the passage tells us. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Now, the word kind is very important. We see it come up in Genesis 1. We see it come up again here. Kind does not mean every single animal. We'll use that dog example that I mentioned earlier, that Noah didn't have two golden retrievers, two uh, sh uh, sheepdogs, two cocker spaniels, two Dalmatians. He had two dogs. A Dalmatian is a type of dog. A cocker spaniel is a type of dog. They are, a dog is a kind. So ultimately, Noah just needed to take two dogs on the ark. He needed to take two of each kind of bird. He needed to take two of each kind of feline, two of each kind, and I think you get the idea here. So he only needed to take two of each kind. If a dinosaur fits the category of a lizard, then Noah doesn't need to take a T-Rex on the ark with him. Noah doesn't need to take a Velociraptor on the ark with him. He could have taken a smaller lizard that fit that kind. And at the same time, if he's taking out uh, some of the bigger dinosaurs and is only allowing and permitting the smaller ones on, and now death has happened, and when we get off the ark, mankind is now given a time period of 120 years to live, so now there's a limitation on how long mankind can live, that likely at that same point there's a limitation on some of these animals as well, and so now they can't get as big as they previously got, so now all of a sudden we can see how sin entering the world and Noah's ark and the flood basically eliminate dinosaurs for us. Now, is there a likelihood that there's some bigger cre uh, creatures that exist at that time period because of this? Likely. We see it through scripture, and I don't have time to dive into all of it today, but we see some different uh, leviathans that get referenced in Job. It's likely that a leviathan could be some kind of dinosaur-like creature that lived in the water that didn't require going on the ark, 
And so they were familiar with these animals at that time period. And they just have died off and went extinct like so many animals today have. And so it's likely there wasn't some great meteor that did this. It was the fact of sin entering the world and the flood basically just wipe all of these dinosaurs out. So realistically, especially if it's a young earth, that there probably was some dinosaurs and humans walking together and living together. Was, or were they in existence by the time that Jesus came on the scene? Probably not. Um, I think we'd probably see more references, especially in the New Testament, if that was the case. Uh, I think these were more in that first like a thousand years of the world that they existed, they lived, and then they were wiped out because of the flood. So here's conclusion today. This is the, the thing that I want you to hear, I want you to walk away from, is I know I threw a lot of information at you, a lot of material. Some of you, you are loving this and you're taking this in and it's answering all kinds of questions. Some of you, you're listening and you're gonna need to listen again um, because it feels intimidating and it feels like a lot of information. But here's the thing that I want you to realize with this message. Within the world today, within Christianity today, people are asking us difficult questions on how science and the Bible work together. Now, if we take the time to study, a lot of times we can come to answers that make sense using science and using the Bible. Now, when we approach science with the Bible as a possibility, the scientific method allows for us to look at all options and find out what option makes the most sense. The problem with science a lot of times today is that science goes to the spot of saying, let's remove religion as a possibility, and now let's look at our options. So let me encourage you with this, is don't be afraid of science engage with science, but make sure you're engaging with science with the Bible as a possibility. Don't wipe out the Bible as a possibility simply because, well, I've got to be scientific. I've got to be educated. I can't use the Bible. That is actually anti the scientific process because you're supposed to allow all things to be possibilities. And a lot of times they will wipe those possibilities out. That ultimately when we study science and when we study the Bible, we see that there is an author, there is a creator that when we look at the probability for us to just be here, it is so ridiculous of how big the odds are for this world to exist without there being an intelligent designer, without there being a God that's in the mix. And it's more probable that there is a creator than there isn't a creator. And so when we look at everything, we realize it is safe to believe that God is, is here, that God is a part of us, that God created us, that God created the universe, and that his word is true. So when you hear people debate and when you hear people have the conversations, don't be fearful. Know the God's word and speak God's word out and believe that God's word can be true. We cannot run away from scientific uh, conversations because we're uneducated. We need to get ourselves educated. We need to study God's word. We need to understand what God's word says. And again, I just touched on two quick topics. There's more that we could talk about that we just don't have time for today. So read God's word, begin to know God's word, and understand that it was written for us, but not to us. Don't make God's word say something it was never intended to say, but realize that God's word does have a lot to say on the things that we're dealing with today and the scientific conversations that we're dealing with today. So don't get mad at people. Don't try and uh, out yell them. Don't run away from the conversation. Study, have an opinion, and share that opinion with those that you come in contact with. Here's what I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that you, if you've never accepted Christ and because you have battled between this idea of um, 
science in the Bible. I want to pray that you can walk in faith with Jesus today. And I want to pray that you have a passion for defending God's word and patience in which to do so. So let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's anyone that's watching this message or listening to this message today that has never accepted you because science has been a barrier for them and they want to accept you today, Lord, I pray that they would just ask you into their heart right now, make you Lord and Savior of their life, and that they would say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I'm okay uh, worshiping and serving the God who does, and whether I get them today, tomorrow, next week, or in heaven, I will trust that God is good. If they're not ready to make that decision today, I pray, God, you begin working on their heart and helping them know who you are and what you want to do in them. And God, I pray for all of us that are believers that you would give us a passion for understanding your word, a passion for defending your word, and a passion for defending your word with patience, that we wouldn't get frustrated or upset with people, but we would work out our faith with them so that they can see who you are and be changed and transformed. In Jesus' incredible name, amen. Well, would you go ahead and repeat the Great Commission with me today? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you for taking some time and joining us today. If uh, this message spoke to you, make sure you share it. That uh, Share it with somebody who needs to hear this message today. Make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, however you're watching, whether YouTube, Facebook, or Spotify, or some other way, so you don't miss out on any of the other messages coming up in this series or any of our future messages as well. Have a blessed day, and I will see you in the next message.